How you doing? Good, good. Y'all are looking good, looking good. Oh my, oh my, oh my. Hey, if it's your first time here today, my name is Craig and my wife Patty and I get to pastor this amazing church. Thank you guys so much for letting us do this. I, I really, really appreciate it. I love it. Um, thanks for not like riding me out on a rail or whatever they call that old school, kicking you out. Um, hey, we do me a favor. There's a lot of people watching online. Will you guys put your hands there? Help me welcome everybody watching on Facebook, YouTube, Church Online platform. Man, we love you guys. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for being with us. Okay, so we are putting a caboose on this message series. We are calling it R.I.P. Today because... I ain't dead, if you were here, you remember that. Um, R.I.P., rest in peace today. And we've been talking about some topics that are definitely more teachery, right? We've been, we've been just teaching. But I feel like these are some foundational things that when we learn these, it helps us live our life in peace today because we understand that what God has for us, all right? And so today, today, wow. Okay, so the first week we talked about the kingdom is here now and not yet. And then we talked about the Holy Come on, Holy Ghost. Mm. Some of you need to put your preacher voice on. You can no one can ever just say the Holy Spirit. I just you know, it just sounds so Presbyterian. You gotta the Holy Ghost. Come on. Anybody? Nobody? Whatever. The Holy the Holy Spirit. And then last week I talked really fast and covered five covenants of the Bible. Anybody learn anything on that? If you could keep up. Drinking from a water, a fire hose. Okay, and today is going to kind of be like that. Today we're talking about the end times. Okay, so how many of you grew up in church? Like, raise your hand. Grew, you grew up in church, and that, by that I mean you were at least in church by the age 18 and up. You might have been in and out. Come on, hold it up for a second. I need, to, I need to see where we are. Okay, that, so that's almost everybody. How many of you, when end times were talked about, you got a little fearful, a little, a little uneasy on the inside like you ate a bad burrito? Anybody? Anybody? I was always scared. The church I grew up in, we talked about the end times a lot, and it was purposefully always connected to fear. Like fear was just part of it. And then in the 70s, Yes, I was alive in the 70s. They came out with this movie called Thief in the Night. They showed it in church, brought all the kids in because we want to scare them senseless, right? Right off the beginning. And in this show, the, the movie, it, go home and YouTube it. It's on YouTube. I looked at it the other day. You can go to YouTube and search Thief in the Night. It's a 1970s movie. It's horrible. Anyway, in there, the whole thing is about the rapture taking place people disappearing, and then all the other people that were left, right, you either had to take the mark of the beast or you went through all this tragedy and stuff, and there's one scene where they walk in and, and there's a pot of boiling water left and nobody was there, okay? That was in the movie. I'm eight years old, y'all. I had I'd just given my life to the Lord, and I'm outside playing in the woods. We had these woods behind our house growing up. I went out there playing, and I came in the house because it was supposed to be dinner time, and there was a pot of boiling water on the stove, just boiling. And I went, hey, Mom. Your water's boiling. You want me to turn it off? Crickets. I'll go ask Dad. So I go in the family room. TV is on. Dad ain't there. So I think, obviously, my sisters will be around. So I go into my sister's room. 
even my sisters were not there. So now I'm experiencing like home alone version, but the Jesus full of fear version, right? And so I'm looking, and, and so then I do what all, what, what all Pentecostal kids do in that moment. Now, for you younger folks, this is before cell phones. This was before answering machines. Yes, believe it or not, there was a day. I went into the kitchen, and I pulled out an old-school paper version called the church directory. Some of you did grow up in church, right? And I flipped in the church directory. This was like a list of everybody in the church for you younger folks, just trying to catch you all up. And I find a guy that was on the church board. His name was Gene Mintz, and I knew if anybody was going to make the, the rapture, it was Gene Mintz. And so I called him because I'm like, if he answers, I'm good. <laughs> Bro didn't answer his phone. So what do I do? I've got this movie rolling through my mind. I go and lay on my mom and dad's bed because it's not like they're going to care. And I start crying. I mean boohooing, blubbering, laying on my back right in the middle of the bed. I can still see it. And I'm just like, I miss the rapture. Jesus, forgive me. Come back for me. Do you do like a come back around? Now I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, there's some food in the kitchen, but how much long will that last? And then I'm only eight years old. I'm going to have to take the mark of the beast, but I don't even remember anything about that. I wish the pastor, can I listen again? No, I can't. He's probably gone. Of course, the pastor's going to be raptured. Ah, and I am when I say I'm boohooing, I mean I'm blubbering, right? I have, I have missed the rapture. And I'm crying. My mom walks in and she says, what are you doing? I'm like, oh my God, where were you? And she says, well, there was a car accident out front on our road. So me and dad and, and I guess the girls were out there. We were just trying to help them. Like, oh my God, you're awesome. She said, yeah. I said, she said, why are you crying? What's wrong? She said, I, I said, I thought I, I thought I missed the rapture. And my mom, with all the love of a mom, she went, don't be an idiot. And just <laughs> walked off, finished going to. But there's this fear in us when it comes to the end times and the rapture. And it messes with us. And the problem is, fear and Jesus don't go together. And so there has to be, and this has bothered me for a while because growing up, that, I mean, that's a completely 100% true story. And so I grew up from that point with this idea that I was thankful for being saved by grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, yet there was a continual fear in me that if I did anything wrong or had one wrong thought and the rapture happened right then, I'm hell bound. And it was this, this way I lived, and I've just learned as I grew up, fear and Jesus don't mix. Fear drives, Jesus drives fear out. And so I want to look at the, the end times today. And here's what I'm going to do. Because um, I want to try and solve some things. Because have you noticed anytime something tragic happens in our world or in our country, immediately people start talking about the Antichrist or the Mark of the Beast. Or, has anybody noticed this? Even when things aren't tragic, well, it might have been tragic for you, but depending on how you voted. Um, <laughs> Obama gets elected, group of people, oh, he's the Antichrist. He's going to bring peace to the Middle East. He's the Antichrist. And then that didn't work out for him, obviously. And so then Trump's elected, and then he's the Antichrist. 
He's going to build a wall, and there's a verse in Micah about the Antichrist building a wall, which, by the way, that's not true. But anyway, he's, he's the Antichrist. Or, or you can go all the way back to Y2K. The world was going to end. Some of you still got pallets of water in your basement. You know you do. 50-gallon drums of wheat, right? And the, all the young people are like, what is he talking about? Where's the? There's always this fear. And so what I want to do is I want to go through some of this stuff. And it is a lot of teachery things. It, it really is. But I want to give you a choice in what to believe. And the, why, how can I give you a choice in what to believe? I'm going to present you with two things. Because here's the deal. Growing up, I always heard people preach revelation and end time stuff a certain way. And that guy would always say, this is right. I'm sure. This is it. He don't know. Because then you hear somebody else teach something from the same Bible, look at it a different way and teach something totally different and say, this is right, this is true. And he probably don't know either. So I thought, wouldn't it be fun if, we if I just presented both of these things and we had a choice? Say, well, how can we choose? Here's the reason why. Fill in the blank. This is muy importante for the total day. No matter what you believe about the end times, it does not and will not affect your salvation but it will affect how you live your life today. Amen. I want to say this again, super slow here, because if you miss this, because you're, some of you are about to get offended by some of the stuff I say. You can be offended, help yourself. If you want to live a miserable life, go ahead. But just remember, even though you're offended at me, we're all going to be in heaven together. So you might as well love me now. Mm -hmm. All right. No matter what you believe about the end times, it does not and will not affect your salvation. Your salvation is based on the grace of Jesus Christ and nothing else. He died on the cross for our sins. He started the new covenant last week. Remember? All right, so here's the two choices. We're gonna, there's two main thoughts in end times teaching. One is the futurists. Futurists, and I am broad stroking this, okay? So if you guys want to drill down, we can talk about that later. But futurists believe that all the prophecies in the New Testament are ahead of us. They're, they're in the future, okay? They believe that some of the Old Testament prophecies have come to pass and some have not, but all of the New Testament prophecies are still to come to fruition in our future, thus the name Futurists. Then the second group is called Praetorists. And Praetorists, you might have never heard that word. It's from a Latin word that means the past. Um, and like I said a few weeks ago, anytime you do anything in theology, I think the guys just sit around and think, What's the most complicated word we can come up with to explain this? The praetorists, okay? Praetorists, there's also partial praetorists, but we're just going to stick with praetorists for today. Praetorists believe that it's all been fulfilled. All the prophecies in the Old Testament and all the prophecies in the New Testament have already been fulfilled except for one, and that one is the return of Jesus Christ. Okay? Y'all tracking with me? you got to know those two things for the rest of the day. So we're going to throw this out there. Now, since I don't have time, we say end times, and since I don't have time to cover Revelation, Ezekiel, Isaiah, part of Jeremiah, Daniel, let's not forget Matthew chapter 24, I thought what I would do is look at these two views and pick out three hot buttons, three hot buttons topics that people always pull to the surface when tragedy happens. And that is, the first thing they're always going to pull out is the Antichrist, the Mark of the Beast, and the Rapture. So, let's talk about the Antichrist. You ready? You ready? You ready to drink from a fire hose? Here we go. I mean, you ready? Two views on these three things. The Antichrist, 
Here, here, here's a funny thing. Um, we talk about the Antichrist all the time, but Antichrist is only in the Bible four times. And none of those are in the book of Revelation. The Antichrist is not in the book of Revelation at all. It's only four times. Three times in 1 John and one time in 2 John. Okay? So look at this. The futurists will use these verses in 1 John and 2 John, we're talking about the Antichrist, to actually create a profile of what the Antichrist looks like. The problem with that is they're taking those, topic, those books out of context. because uh, We've talked about this several times. Please, please, please read your Bible in the historical context that it's in. Okay? John was writing to the church to combat a cult that was rising up in the New Testament church. The cult was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism believed this. They, they came alongside the church. They didn't, they didn't say they didn't believe in Jesus. They believed that Jesus only came as an ethereal, ethereal, thank you. I said it totally wrong first service. Everybody corrected me, and I'm still saying it wrong. Ethereal. Yes. Let's say it together. Ethereal. Okay. Woo! He only came as an ethereal spirit, never in the flesh. Obviously, this is a problem for the Christian church, because if you don't believe Jesus came in the flesh, then you also don't believe that he shed his blood for our sins. So this is a big deal. And Gnosticism actually stole one-third of the New Testament church at that time. That's a big deal, right? So John is writing to correct this, okay? 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. He says this, we saw him, that being Jesus, we saw Jesus with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him and heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him. The one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God. Jesus came in the flesh. Okay, John is still following this whole thought through his book. Here's the test for those with the genuine spirit of God. They will confess Jesus as the Christ who has come in the flesh. Everyone who does not acknowledge that Jesus is from God has the spirit of Antichrist. Notice it is not the Antichrist. It is not even a capital Antichrist. It is not a personal pronoun. It is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming way back then when this was written, and is already active in the world. Okay, It's not the Antichrist. It's the spirit of Antichrist. All right, you got that? Great. Let's move on. Look at Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. Are we having fun yet? I think we are. Daniel chapter 9, um, this is a verse that's kind of interesting. Uh, don't, don't get mixed up in all the numbers. I'll, I'll explain as we go through this, but I'm going to skip down here. You have more of this scripture in your paper notes than will be on the screen and stuff. So anyway, take it home. Read away. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, pause, Older translations say Antichrist, but not so old. It's actually the newer translations will say Antichrist, okay? And I'm going to explain that little mishap in just a second, okay? So just, can you just hold on to that for a second? Okay, okay. The anointed one comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one or the Antichrist, will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. Okay, that being translated as the Antichrist did not happen until after 1830. Before 1830, it was always translated as a prophecy about who Jesus Christ is going to be. Okay, 
So why did that happen? We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But here's what you need to know for right now. The futurists will take this verse in Daniel and they'll say, okay, for this to be the Antichrist, this is what has to happen, just according to the scriptures that's in your notes, okay? These are things that have to happen for the Antichrist to take power. So let me repeat myself. If you're a futurist, it's totally cool. This is what you're waiting on for the Antichrist to set up his throne. The temple of Jerusalem must be rebuilt where the current dome of the rock, the Muslim mosque, stands. A functional priesthood must be reinstated. Animal sacrifice must be reinstated. The Antichrist makes world peace for three and a half years. The Antichrist then enters the temple, sits down as God, and ends animal sacrifice. Now, so the futurists say that's what's got to happen. The praetors are going to say, no, 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 this is, this is not talking about the Antichrist. This is a prophecy about who Jesus Christ is going to be. And in fact, Matthew Henry, who is an old school commentary, he wrote a commentary on the whole Bible in the, in the mid to late 1700s. And he said this, Matthew Henry's a cool dude. I mean, he's dead, but he was a cool dude. Um, talking specifically about this verse in Daniel 9 that we just read, he said, it contains the most illustrious prediction of Christ and the gospel grace that is extant in all the Old Testament. In all the Old Testament. So here's what, what are you saying, Craig? Here's what I'm saying. On the Daniel chapter 9, people always like to bring that up. If you're a futurist, you're going to say that's describing the Antichrist. If you're a praetorist, you're going to say that's a prophecy about Jesus. Is it any wonder the church is so confused about this stuff? So whatever you believe about that, let's just move on. It's not going to stop anything. Okay, so the Apostle Paul talks about this guy named the, the, the man of lawlessness. Check this out. In 2 Thessalonians, he says this. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness, now futurists and some other people will say that that's the Antichrist. Okay? It's not in the Greek. It doesn't say Antichrist. It says exactly what it says there. The man of lawlessness um, is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple, which was there in Jerusalem. He will sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Now, the futurists are going to say, if you're a futurist, you're going to say, this is talking about the Antichrist, and he's going to come to power after the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, okay? Even though there's no mention in the New Testament anywhere about the temple being rebuilt after it was destroyed later, okay? The praetors are going to come along, and they're going to say this. They're going to say, no, 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 no. You need to take this in the context of the historical structure that it was written in. You ready for a history lesson? Half of you. Are you all still tracking with me? Is this interesting to anybody? Or I just want to pray? Okay. History lesson. What was going on at this time? Okay, so we all know, this is just like history. A.D. 70, 70 A.D., the temple in Jerusalem was completely destroyed by the Roman army. Rome surrounded Jerusalem, and I mean, they burned it, crushed it. It was like it did not exist anymore. Here's a fun fact. Check this out. Um, a historian called Tacitus, he said that as Rome was approaching... All the followers of Jesus Christ, the cult, because at that time it was a cult, you know, the cult of Jesus Christ, all the followers of Christ escaped to a town called Pella, and not a single Christian perished in the invasion. <gasps> 
and you line that up with what Jesus said in Matthew 24, and you say, wow, okay, you can do that on your own. Okay, so the whole temple is destroyed, everything's done. Right before that, in A.D. 69, and then overlapping into A.D. 70, there's a man named John Levi. This is history. So please, fact check me. Please, Google it. Go read a book. John Levi, Eusebius, another historian, and Josephus says, John Levi raised, rose up. And he had a skillful tongue, and he got a big cult, a big gathering to follow him, and he marched into um, and took over the high priest of the temple, and he set up a throne in the temple of God in Jerusalem. And then he told all of his followers, burn, now Rome is already surrounding Jerusalem. He says, burn all of our food supplies. Why, why would you do that? Because God is going to show our faith that we trust God to deliver us, and I am his servant, so trust me. So they burned all the food supplies, because this Yahoo said so, as he sits on this throne in the temple, and tens of thousands of Jews literally starved to death because this man of lawlessness set up a throne in the temple, fulfilled every single thing that's in that scripture, but we don't hear about it because it's history, you know, so fact check me, Okay. John, John Levi. Okay, so that's enough with the Antichrist. We got every, Antichrist totally figured out. Okay, because if you're a futurist, there is an Antichrist. If you're a praetorist, then there is no Antichrist. Um, you ready to move on? Am I clearing things up? You're like, oh, dear God, no. Okay, well, great. Let's talk about the mark of the beast. How many have ever heard of the mark of the beast? At the beginning of COVID, my aunt called me, and she said, Craig, you're a pastor, right? I'm like, yep, have been for a long time. She said, so you talk to people, right? Yes, and what, 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 what do you need? What do you need? She said, don't get tested for COVID. Excuse me? Don't get tested for COVID. If you even get tested for COVID, what they're doing, I read this. I read an article on the book of face, the face, the face, what is it called? The Facebook? I, I read an article on Facebook. I'm not making this up, y'all. I read an article on Facebook that if you get tested for COVID, what they're doing is the government is putting a microchip on the end of the Q-tip and shoving it up your nose and implanting it in your sinus cavity so that the government can track you. And I said, you mean different than tracking you on the cell phone you're talking to me on? <laughs> well, it's not just that. It's the mark of the beast. Oh, we're jumping to the mark of the beast. Hey, let me help everybody out just real quick. No matter what you believe, getting tested for COVID is not the mark of the beast. Getting a vaccine is not the mark of the beast. You can have your opinion. That's totally cool. but <laughs> Don't be an idiot. It's not the mark of the beast. It doesn't fit anything in Scripture. Okay, can we, so can we move past that? <laughs> Whew, all right. So, so if you're going to figure out what the mark of the beast is, you first have to figure out how the, who the beast is. Because if you're taking the mark of the beast, then who is the beast? So there's actually two beasts mentioned. Praetors say this in, in Revelation 13 that the beast is Rome, the empire of Rome. And in Revelation 17 that the beast is an emperor, specifically Nero. Now for Nero, one man to be called the beast, you need to understand something. What kind of guy does he have to be? Okay? History tells us that he was absolutely horrific. Tacitus, if you've ever heard of him, he's a historian. Tacitus said this about Nero. He tells us all kinds of things. Go read it. It's fascinating because I cannot tell you all the things that Nero did simply because I'm speaking in public, like literally. Some of the things he did was he killed his own mother. His wife got pregnant, and he kicked her to death while she was pregnant. Then he castrated a small boy and married him. 
He also killed tens of thousands of Christians, like it was just a sport to him. He would, some of them he would put in the Colosseum, some of them he would kill and then dip in hot wax and let it dry and then use them as candles in his garden. Nero was a messed up dude, and that's, just, that's the things literally that I can share. If you go read, you will be astounded at the things that he did to humanity. And Tacitus actually calls Nero a beast. He said the way he leads and who he is, he is a beast. Okay, so if Nero is the beast, one of the things, 17, Revelation 17 will help us see it just a little bit clearer. So check this out. Um, 17.10, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. Sounds like a riddle. It's not really a riddle if you understand the history that it's in. Check this out. Let's go through it. Five have fallen, looking at the emperors of that time. Five have fallen, Julius Caesar, Augustus, Tiberius, Gaius, and Claudius. One is, who is the one? It's Nero. He was the emperor during the time that this was written. And then, the other has not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The next emperor was Galba. He only ruled for six months. That makes that scripture make a whole lot more sense, doesn't it? Now, that's what Praetorists will say. Futurists will say, we don't know who this is, who the beast is, it's coming in our future, we'll figure it out, we'll know it when it happens, okay? So you have the ones that are saying this is who it is, and the other one's saying we don't know, it's coming in our future. So that's who the beast is, whether he's coming in our future or it's Nero, okay? So what about the mark of the beast? Revelation 13. Y'all still with me? Okay, Revelation 13, 16 says this. He required the beast, okay, that's who the he is. You can follow the pronoun back. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or the forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without that mark. Now, the futurists are going to say, and we've already heard this, the futurists will say, well, it's a computer chip that's probably going to be implanted in the back of the hand or a computer chip that will be implanted here, right? And so it's in our future, but watch out for it. Pay attention. Be careful. It could be coming, right? That's, that's the futurist view. Um, the Praetor's view is this. There's a guy named N.T. Wright, and he wrote a book. He's a great theologian. He's probably one of the He's just an astounding theologian. N.T. Wright wrote a book called Revelation for Everyone. And uh, so there you go. Look, you got a bibliography in this, in this one too. Um, and in there he explains the historical content. Because Praetorists are going to say, what's the history behind this being written? And the history is this. During this time, and you guys know this from history class, emperors declared themselves as divine. They declared themselves to be gods. God with a lower G, but um, they declared themselves to be gods. And because of that, they would set up idols and things of themselves around the different cities and places of their conquest. They also would set up an idol of themselves at the entrance to different courtyards and marketplaces. And so if you were going to go into a market that was owned by the god of that area, right, the emperor, um, you would, there would be a statue, there would be an idol, and you would burn incense, you would pay homage to the statue, the icon, the idol worship, and then you would take the ash from that and you would put it on the back of your hand or on your forehead to signify that you have paid homage to the great Caesar, the great, the great emperor, the god of that time, and it gave you the right to buy, sell, and trade in his market. Thus, if you're a praetorist, then if Nero is the beast, then the mark of the beast is the ash on the back of the hand. And so it's already happened, so you don't have to look forward to 2025 or 2040 for the mark of the beast. It's already happened. However, there's also something you need to go along with it. It's not just that. What do we learn from the Bible? There's different layers. Here's one thing. The mark of the beast is a mindset. The mark of the beast is what we put our hands to. The way you think and the way you work is making your own means the most important or is pleasing God the most important. Just a thought. 
That was extra. Let's move on. Enough about the mark of the beast. Enough about the beast. Enough about the Antichrist. Let's end this where we started, which is the the rapture. Rapture. Okay? Rapture. Now, the rapture, let me tell you, if you're new to church, um, let me explain just real, and I mean like real quick, the, the idea of the rapture, just so you get a whole picture, this is a futurist view, that one day in our future, Jesus will remove, he'll snatch away all the followers of Christ, all the believers, okay? Gone. And all of the believers are no longer on planet earth, so now what's left on earth is everybody that does not believe in Jesus Christ, and it was raptured. And so that, in that environment, the Antichrist will set up his throne, again, in the temple in Jerusalem, and he will rule from there and reinstate animal sacrifice and all of that, forth, and he'll have world peace it's not just peace in the Middle East. He'll have world peace for three and a half years. And then, and if you're a mid-trib person, then you believe that you'll be raptured right there after three and a half years. If you're pre-trib, then before, post-trib, after. It gets confusing, doesn't it? Okay, so raptured out, three and a half years peace, and then God unleashes his holy wrath on the planet. And the wrath is unfolded, and people die, all kinds of stuff happens. And then it all culminates with this return and the battle of Armageddon. Armageddon. Some of you went to Bible school. Uh, the battle of Armageddon, okay? So that's the basic rapture. Now, here's the deal. The idea of rapture. Now, you can throw stones if you want, but here, instead of throwing stones at me, here's what I'd like you to do. I would like you to fact check me. I would like you to read a book, not just a blog of someone's opinion. Come on, somebody. But if you want to just look at my research, you can do that. The idea of the rapture was never even spoken or in print prior to 1830. It's nowhere in church history prior to 1830. And by the way, 1830 is not that long ago. What is that, 191 years ago or something like that? Um, that's not that long ago. Um, it didn't show up anywhere. It showed up because one guy named Darby, Darby is his name, John Darby, he started this idea about the rapture and the church escaping from planet Earth. And he started that, and then those ideas took off, and then they were copied and put in a Bible called the, the, Schofield, sorry, the Schofield Annotated Bible. Okay, It came out in... 1909, and those thoughts, the church I grew up in, some of the old ladies called it the Schofield Anointed Bible. Instead of annotated, they leveled it up, bro. I mean, it was like for real, it's anointed, okay, whatever. Um, Schofield Annotated Bible. And so the print was there, and when it was put in that print, it, it spread very quickly through our Western thought process. And the reason was, think about this. People would say, I love Jesus, I don't wanna live through another World War I. I don't want to have to live through another World War II. I don't want to have to go through another Great Depression. And so this idea quickly came across, we can escape all of this trial and tribulation and not have to go through it. So I like that idea. That sounds good. Okay, so right now I can feel the vibes. So if you're saying, so let me get you straight, Pastor Craig. You're saying you don't believe in the rapture. Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're saying? Um, depends how you define the rapture. Because the rapture, the word rapture, did you know it's nowhere in the Bible from cover to cover? It doesn't exist. But now, if you're asking me if I believe Jesus Christ is coming back for his church, absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt. 
How do I know that? Because Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And when it's ready, I will come back for you. And while I'm gone, by the way, you can fast forward to a couple weeks ago. While I'm gone, by the way, I will give you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that I'm coming back for you. In fact, in Ephesians, it calls the Holy Spirit your engagement ring. He is the promise and guarantee. And Jesus Christ is coming back for the bride of Christ, the church. Guarantee. Now, what does that look like? I have no idea. Well, Craig, what do you believe? Craig, Craig, pastor, pastor. Craig, what do you believe? Do you, are, you a, are you a futurist? Are you a praetorist? Here you go, you ready? I'm not telling you. Because here's the deal. If I say something like that, then it's going to tweak what you believe. And then you're going to try to struggle to figure out how you believe. I don't want you to do that. Pray. Read a book. Learn and grow in the Lord. Because no matter, get this, no matter what you come up with about the end times, it does not affect your salvation. But it will affect how you lived your life today. One of those lives is you're going to be hiding in a storm shelter, wrapped in bubble wrap, wearing a helmet and knee pads, waiting and praying for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Snatch me out of all my troubles and problems. Because I don't really want to work at this advancing this kingdom of God thing. I would rather escape. And then the other side is, Jesus put me in this place and in this time for a purpose and a reason. And my gifts and my talents are going to help propel and advance the kingdom of God. And I'm going to use everything I can and every minute I have. Because whether these are the end times or not, these are at least my last days. And so I'm going to advance the kingdom of God with love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, mercy, long-suffering, and self-control. These are the things that I'm going to advance. I'm not waiting to evacuate. I'm waiting to change somebody's life through the power of Jesus Christ. Totally different. All right. So there's, put this verse up there, 2 Timothy 1.7. Let, we're going to read this together. We're going to stop at the comma. And you say, Craig, that sounds foolish. No, it's not. Because you need to profess this. Because fear has gotten a hold of too many people in the church. Let me say that again. Fear has gotten a hold of too many people in the church. Let's say this together. One, two, three. For God will never give you the spirit of fear. Okay? Now, let's say it again. And instead of you, say me. Ready? One, two, three. For God will never give me the spirit of fear. Declare that over your life. Where there's fear, that's not God. Because the Holy Spirit and fear don't mix. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control, we operate in the Holy Spirit. And so when you're scared of stuff, when you're fearful of stuff, man, that ain't God. That's not God. End times should not scare you. End times should excite you. Are you living in fearful anticipation of the king returning? Or are you living in an excited, joyful state where I can't wait when he comes, no matter when he comes or what he's coming? Because I'm living in Luke 19.13. Last scripture and then we'll pray. Luke 19.13, in the King James Version, for those of you who flow that way, it say this, occupy until he comes. What does that mean in more of our language? It's another translation says this, when Jesus comes, whenever that is, be about the Father's business. Be about the Father's business. Let's, let, how about we stop throwing stones and we just be about the Father's business? 
How about we stop hating and gossiping and we start loving and encouraging and be about the Father's business? How about we be a part of the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God, because we are always about doing the Father's business. We pray with me? You bow your heads and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, we just, we all confess together, we don't know what the future holds. We, we just don't. But that's okay. Because our faith and our hope is in you. You are our past, you are our present, and you are our future. And we lean on you, we trust in you. And Father, all those people that are here right now, whether they're in-house or watching online, Father, those people that right now, they're not ready for your return. They're not, they don't have a relationship with you. They haven't met you. They don't understand the grace that you have for us. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you convict them right now. That you let them feel that feeling inside of them, recognizing that it's not fear or guilt or condemnation. It's conviction. And so, Father, I ask that you stir that in them. And as they lean into you, Father, I ask that you lean into them and change their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you're one of those people that are feeling that inside of you, when we close and dismiss, there's people down front that would love to pray with you. They can explain that to you. They can pray with you. They're amazing individuals. And if you need prayer for anything, you can come down front and they will pray with you. Okay, stand with me if you will. So glad you guys are here today. So glad. Thanks for being here. Um, let's pray the benediction and we will jet out of here. You ready? You ready? You ready? You ready? Anybody glad you came to church today? Anybody learn something today? Yeah? Hope so. Hope so. All right. Heavenly Father, right now, we just ask that the words of our mouth, the meditations in our heart, Lord, they'll be acceptable in your sight. You're our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, y'all. Love you.